Um, so I'm Jeff Tom. I'm the president of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. Um, Nancy Miller, one of our panelists, is going to go around in just a minute and let everyone introduce themselves. Um, then after that, we'll give you a little bit of time to eat, after which we will um, hear from our luncheon speaker. Um, just before our luncheon speaker, I will give you the opening code for any of you who would like CE and can use CEU credits. You're going to have to follow all the proper instructions which are mentioned in the program. I won't go into them, but the one thing you, you do need is an opening code and a closing code. So I will give you those. And there will also be codes if you want CEU credits for this afternoon's panel, which follows immediately after um, our speech from Mark Reichert. So, um, uh, at this point, I'll let um, Nancy come around and introduce, um, so that you can all introduce yourselves. And after that, we'll give you a little time to eat. Thank you. Hey, Jeff, what do you want us to do with our tickets? Um, lay them on the table, because uh, I'm not sure whether the, they need them or not. I mean, somebody's going to need them. Then you could just give them in bulk. Yeah, okay. Yeah, go ahead, Kathy. Collect them. Okay, so, uh, Nancy, go right ahead. Okay, thank you. Okay, I'm coming around with the mic, and I'm going to start at this table in the back. If you can, int Shh. If you can introduce yourself and tell us where you're from. Thank you. John Huffman from Indianapolis, Indiana, and I see they've put me as close to the in the corner as they could. Thank you. <laughs> Dan Sippel from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Bruce Radke, Bellingham, Washington. Doug Powell, Falls Church, Virginia. Erica Leonchenko, Hawaii. I'm sorry. I'm Joan Horst. I'm from Pennsylvania. Jean Mann from Albany, New York. Marissa Stalvey, Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, Karen Campbell, Glenellan, Illinois. Good afternoon, Ray Campbell, ACB Secretary, Glenellan, Illinois. Renee Latour from the Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired right here in Rochester. Sarah Van Bortel, Rochester, New York, ABVI. Mary Ellen Frost from Maine. Barbara Hearn from Tennessee. She's still chewing. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I caught you just when you took a bite. Cherry in my Carolyn Burley from Canton, Ohio. Sharon Strakowski, Worcester, Massachusetts. 
Don? Don Kelman, Medina, Ohio, and I'm also a J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellow Award winner. Oh, congratulations. I'm Michael Garrett from Missouri City, Texas. Peggy Garrett, Missouri City, Texas. Joan, Co Joan Cox from San Angelo, Texas. Donna Hepper, Bismarck, North Dakota. Alan Peterson, Horace, North Dakota. And Nancy Miller from New York City, Vision Services for the Blind. And that's all of us that are here right now? No. no? Oh, I missed your table, my table. <laughs> here you go. Jane Lund, Bloomington, Minnesota. Ninetta Garner, Morgantown, West Virginia, AAVL Secretary. Kathy Gerhardt, AAVL Treasurer, currently Poland, Ohio. Mark Reichert, uh, Arlington, Virginia. Uh, here you go, madam. Barbara Lombardi, Shelton, Connecticut. I'm retired. I volunteer for um, people who are uh, elder services in one of the organizations, and I plan to join a, a VL. I'm Sylvia Perez. I'm the director of the Older Individuals Who Are Blind Technical Assistance Center at Mississippi State University. Okay, so the opening code for today, if I can remember how to read Braille, which is 93F56, 93F56. Okay, that's the opening code, and you get the ending code when Mark is done. So, I think most of you in here know, long-time advocate uh, in a number of areas, from cradle to grave, basically, um, and someone who I think will not be shy today to tell you what he thinks about advocacy and what we need to be doing better and what we're doing well. Um, Mark worked, as you know, for, uh, started his, got his stripes uh, as an ACB employee, went on to do other things, worked for AER, worked for AFB for many years, and now is with the National Disability Institute. But he is also the candidate for first vice president of this organization, so without any more, of an introduction, because we really want to hear him, not me. I'm going to turn it over to our luncheon speaker. Let's hear it from Mark Reichert. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. 
You guys are really kind to spend a lunch period with me. I really do appreciate it. I'm not going to uh, spend really any time this afternoon talking about National Disability Institute. Uh, I'm really proud of the work that NDI does. I'll, uh, I don't, don't have much time on tomorrow's plenary session agenda, uh, but, but a shameless plug. Not that you shouldn't be there the moment the opening music starts. Shame on you if you aren't there after having your third cup of coffee. Uh, and uh, come on in and listen to the good music or whatever. But uh, my, my session there starts, I believe, about 10.55. And we have 20 minutes to talk a little bit about acquainting the blindness community with what NDI is all about. And then also about these crazy things called ABLE accounts. And uh, be interested to, to talk with the convention more about the advantages of ABLE accounts. What I want to talk to you a little bit about today is really kind of uh, interesting. Jeff said, Je Jeff, Jeff said to me today, um, what I want you to really do, since you know, you know, you're, you're no longer working for any of the blindness organizations, so I really want you to just, just get up there and tell them what you think, because after all, you don't have to carry anybody else's water. Now, <clears throat> that... <laughs> There's a plus side and a, and, a, and a negative side to that, right? The plus side, of course, is that that's really enjoyable for me uh, because I can talk about whatever the heck I want. Uh, the negative side is that some people in this room might not like it, which means y'all might throw things at me. And so uh, we, 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 especially the lids on top of lunch uh, plates, apparently, that might be one good thing to throw. I, <laughs> and their contents. Nancy Miller says she'll only throw soft things at me. I, I, don't, I don't know if it'll be quite like that, but I do want to share some frank thoughts um, with you. And I think those of you who know me know that I, I'm not one to, you know, I don't intentionally try to stir the pot, but I do want to be, I, th I think honesty and directness is really important. What we want to talk about today, um, as I try to maintain my concentration with a little bit of this noise, if you're not if you don't need to be chit-chatting, it'd be great. Thanks. Um, see, I, I, because I just turned 50 years old, so my ability to maintain my, you know, uh, focus uh, is every day gets a little. I know. Most. Mo, mo, <laughs> that, that's right. The neighborhood. So, uh, uh, at, but in any case, uh, thank you for that. So, what I want to talk a little bit about is sort of how we've gotten to this point in this country where, quite frankly, we're not doing what we need to be doing for seniors in America. We're just not. We're, we're, we're just not. And, uh, and, and that's a, that is not just a blindness community phenomenon. That's, a, that's an American phenomenon. So it, it, in, in, a, in a country that is arguably, for all the problems that we have in this country, we're, we're the wealth, the, the world has never seen a country with the kind of wealth that the we, um, United States of America has. We continue to lead the world in so many ways. It is just, there, there simply are no words uh, to, to describe the unconscionability of what we are not doing for seniors generally. And that obviously includes seniors that have disabilities like vision loss. Those of you who know me really well know that I don't use the following words very, very lightly. I think it's a profoundly sinful thing that our country is doing. That we do not 
comprehensively take care of those people who frankly have taken care of us for generations, uh, whether they experience disability or vision loss from the beginning or start to do it because the good Lord has blessed them to give them great long life and now they're at a stage when they're starting to experience some changes and what are we really doing about it? The simple truth is we are doing virtually nothing as a country about this. Virtually nothing. The closest example that you can point to uh, to what our, what we are doing as a country in terms of our public investment in the needs of folks who are older and beginning to experience vision loss is this little teeny tiny program that's been around for what 30 40 years called the it's, it's got it, it, we love long names in the blindness community don't we we just we love long names of organizations and people the name of this program is the Independence for Older Individuals uh, Who Are Blind, or the OIB program, Independent Living Services for Older Individuals Who Are Blind. It doesn't spell out anything. You know, nobody sat at the bar and tried to figure out a cool acronym for it. The only way that we shorten it is to call it the OIB program, which OIB, I mean, it, it sounds more like something you might hear in the, on the New York streets uh, when someone's got stomach trouble, uh, is OIB. Uh, or if you have too many hotel luncheons, that might be another uh, thing. But, but, but what, what is the point of this program? The whole point of the OIB program, the whole point of the Older Blind program is to say, you know what, there needs to be some kind of a public investment for individuals who are living with vision loss but who do not uh, necessarily have an employment outcome. Maybe some will. But this is really a program that's focused to help people stay at home, live in their homes, and live independently, and to really focus the kind of services that are tailor-made or should be tailor-made for them. How much are we spending on the older blind program? Anybody have any idea? And Sylvia and Nancy can't, can't answer. Well, so it, good, uh, Ray Campbell uh, has got a good guess. Basically, nationally, the investment at the federal level is 33.x million dollars. 33.3, I think it is these days. $33 million. I, I, I can't even uh, begin to give you some other numbers in the federal budget to kind of give you a feel for what we're really talking about. I believe the defense budget is something like, oh, God, I don't know, like $800 billion, something like that. Uh, just the American Printing House for the Blind, which is an incredibly worthy cause, an, an incredibly worthy program. Uh, I believe their appropriation uh, is about 28, 29, maybe 30, I think it is now these days, 30 million. So here's the thing. I love everything about the American Printing House for the Blind. I think they do a lot of good stuff, and I wouldn't begrudge them a penny. And I'm not here to tell you that, gee, we shouldn't be spending on APH. If you leave the room and say, Mark Reichert said, APH is getting too much money, and that's why the older blind program is getting the shaft, I'm going to call you a liar. That's not my point. My point is that the, American, that the American Printing House for the Blind serves an important population. They're getting 30-some million dollars a year in direct appropriations. The Older Blind Program is supposed to serve somewhere at least, at least easily 7 million people, if not many, many more. And that's the pitiful investment that has been made in this country. Why? Not because we don't want to do the right thing, but because this country as a whole is not paying attention to the needs of older folks who are blind. So 
what has happened in the past, generally speaking, and what can we do about it in the future, and what have been the reasons why we haven't done better? There's lots of reasons for it. If you ask three different people, and we're going to have a panel coming up, you might get four or five different answers for all of those questions. And yes, there is some good news, and I'm sure my panelists uh, will be talking about the most recent sort of coalition-type activities, including the American Council of the Blind, to start mobilizing around some of these issues. But let me tell you some of my own thoughts. The only real concerted effort that really has, has had any teeth to it at all, any real teeth, any real, we're going to put words to action, not just sit around and, and do a lot of sort of strategic planning and thinking. Let's not slap a lot of pieces of big white paper up on the wall that are completely inaccessible and sit around with blind and sighted folk and make great plans and talk about agendas on aging and what we all might be able to do in a good world. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about practical, what really has happened. The only real major national effort was one that was done in the late 90s to early 2000s. And I can brag about it. I can brag about my former colleagues at AFB because I've always said this. I mean, I helped out a little, but I wasn't the one in charge of it. So I'm not tooting my own horn when I tell you this. But it was truly the American Foundation for the Blind and names like Scott Marshall and Alan Dinsmar and Paul Schrader and other names like that that perhaps you may know. Glenn Plunkett. There may have been some others. Glenn Plunkett, I think, at the time was working with the American Council of the Blind. But in any case, focusing on this notion of, you know what, we really need to do something about the Older Blind Program. And what was that thing? That was to say, let's get it out of it just being a few million dollar program and at least get it to that federal spending threshold so that there would be states that would get a minimum amount of, of dollars out of that program and get it out of this kind of state of limbo that it was in. And that's exactly what AFB did. How did AFB do that? Well, sure, my colleagues Scott and Alan and Paul were smart and did good work. They, of course they did. But the other thing that they did, and AFB at the, money, at the time, of course, had the money. I'll let people from AFB speak about whether AFB or any other organization has the money now. But it took the investment in outside policy council, what some of us in this room would pejoratively refer to as a high-paid lobbyist. And what does that high-paid lobbyist do for you? They don't have any of the answers. Those people hardly know anything about blindness, if they know anything about any of our issues at all. The point of those high-paid lobbyists is to open up doors to get in to see the right person that we don't necessarily have the political context to get into. We've got a plenty of policy papers. We've got policy papers off the wazoo, and we can produce many, many more, and I think a few are being produced, and that's a wonderful thing. But if you can't get in front of the right people with your ideas, they don't mean a thing. And so... I, I'm not going to tell you precisely how much money, but it was easily a hundred grand a year that the American Foundation for the Blind spent on that those lobbyists, and that was over a three, four, five year period of time. And what happened as a result of that effort? It was an unqualified success because what happened was the, that the older blind program was set on a trajectory to now be at that thirty-three point three million dollars a year, when at the time it was easily just you know less than one-third that amount okay so what lessons do we learn from that number one 
at least one, if not a couple of organizations, have to step up and say, you know what, we're going to make this a priority, and we're not going to give up until it's something of, that's concrete happens. Do you know that at the time when AFB was doing that work in the late 90s and early 2000s, do you know how AFB actually decided to make that its priority? Because in 1998, at an AFB leadership conference, there was a essentially it wasn't meant to be a debate, but that's exactly what happened. Folks from Lighthouse International up in New York City who do awesome work were there, and they were talking about all of the incredible policy work that they wanted to do, and they were bragging about all of the investment that they had made in something called you know Medicare reimbursement for low vision services. A worthy idea. For sure. Uh, and, and yet AFB and Lighthouse International, you know, collegial organizations and friends, you know, back and forth between those organizations. But let's face it, not unlike ACB and NFB or any number of other organizations that are in this field or any other, there is competition among organizations about who wants to look like the top dog. Who's going to look like the one who can actually bring home the bacon? Who's the one who really actually can do some good, effective things for blind and visually impaired people? And so they had this kind of, it was collegial, but it was most assuredly a fundamental disagreement where people were sitting around a table saying, what should be our top priority? Yet a whole chunk of people saying we ought to really make Medicare reimbursement the focus. Another group of people said it should really be low, this whole older blind individuals program that should be the focus. Ultimately, because Lighthouse International chose one path and tried to focus on Medicare reimbursement, they went their way, AFB went its way, and what that means is AFB decided to go whole hog on that. Did AFB sign on to letters in support of Medicare reimbursement? Oh yeah, of course. Everybody joined together in principle. But not in terms of elbow grease and money and staff time and a fundamental commitment to the point where our boss at the time, Carl Augusto, said, okay, you guys, uh, the chips are really down. The CEO of Lighthouse International, Barbara Silverstone at the time, she is, she is headstrong and hell-bent on wanting to do this Medicare reimbursement thing, and God bless her. She's gonna, she wants to take that issue over. You guys have talked me into working on this older blind program. I'm going to hold you to it. You damn well better get some success out of this. And by the way, in order to help you get success, we're going to hire those outside lobbyists and make it happen. So somebody, somewhere, if you want to accomplish something on the policy or advocacy side of things for sure, needs to decide, and no, it doesn't have to be just one organization, but it sure as heck has to be a core of people. In the late 90s, early 2000s, that core happened to be mostly at AFB. Did we have help from across the country? Of course. There's no policy achievement that's ever made, ever, that is ever done by one person. Uh, I have, if, if, if you ever heard me claim that I was the one that made one thing happen all by myself, then I must have been spending too much time at the bar that night. Because the simple truth is, nobody does that. I'm simply saying to you that there has to be a core of, of folks who are prepared and are held accountable for results, but who are absolutely headstrong and hell-bent on getting it done. And that's exactly what happened in the late 90s and the early 2000s. Were there other things that happened? You bet. We had a national aging agenda. AFB tried most recently to do an aging agenda, which is now 
essentially been subsumed or taken over by or re-energized, is probably a better way to put it, by our colleagues in the private agency sector through an organization I hope all of you have heard of called Vision Serve Alliance, and I believe Lee Nasahi spoke earlier today. Um, so, and, and that's great. The, the, the most important thing is not who is owning this topic, but where are the resources coming from? And is, in fact, the commitment to finally say we are tired of it and we're going to not take it anymore, is that commitment really there? Now, let me say a couple of other things for you, and then I will stop. And if there's time for questions, either I'll take them or our panel, I'm sure, will clean up whatever mess they think I've made. Okay? So, 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 so. That was our one main success over the last, whatever, couple of uh, generation or so. So, is the older blind program the answer or not? Now, depends on how you look at it. Do you know, uh, we've got, and, and, and uh, Sylvia is here, she can talk about the numbers better than I can, but I can tell you, having looked at this over the years, uh, you know, when, when you talk about spending, on a program or how are you going to get resources for a particular population or a program? One of the first things that policymakers are going to want to know is how many people are you talking about and how much is it going to cost? Now right now we've got about 33 point some million dollars a year invested at the federal level. Uh, uh, by the time you throw in what states do, states make their own contribution or they should uh, uh, and, and, and that varies widely. Uh, what that really boils down to is about 540 some dollars is being spent a year per person in the older blind program. And it only serves about, what, 2%, something like that, of the eligible population. And when we say the older blind program only serves that low number of people, um, what, what, what you should take away from that is th that 2% or whatever that's actually getting serviced, right? They're, they're not getting the Cadillac Rolls-Royce service package. It's not as though these people are, they're, they're getting the bare minimum if they get anything at all. So, so let's be clear that even with a pitiful number like 2%, they're not getting what they need to get. And there's been a lot of work done recently under the umbrella of Vision Serve Alliance and AFB before then about precisely what, what should a set of proper services and supports look like for older folks. So understanding the answers to those questions is going to be critical. But if you go into a member of Congress's office or you say to a policymaker, uh, this is what we want to do. Unbelievable crisis in this country. A gazillion people, whatever the number is you happen to have. Tons of blind and visually impaired. Tons of older people who don't necessarily even identify as being blind or visually impaired. They are out there and we need your, serve, we need your help. Here's this little older blind program. And they say to you, okay, well, that's fine. You've sold me. There's a big problem. In fact, I get it because my mother or my grandmother is starting to experience vision loss. So I, you, you, stop selling me. How much is the whole thing going to cost? Do you know, we have no idea how much full funding of the Older Blind Program costs. We have no idea. And if anybody tells you they, they have the exact number for what full funding for the Older Blind Program is, they are out of their minds. They are simply spinning. And why don't we know that? Because we don't have nearly enough research in this country to back up justifying exactly precisely what it is that older folks need. We don't have the actual sort of administrative infrastructure uh, to help support it. 
The list goes on and on. But if we don't have a better sense of exactly what this problem is all about and the full scope of it, we're going to have a hard time convincing policymakers of making changes to this little teeny tiny older blind program. I'll give you, you know something? Our friends at Lighthouse International, who I, I'm not picking on them. I'm, telling, I'm just telling you the, the truth as little old Mark Reichert sees it, okay? Our friends at Lighthouse International and the folks who worked on Medicare reimbursement have had the same exact problem. They went to Congress and said, you know what? There's only, um, uh, there, there, there are millions and millions of blind and visually impaired folks out there who aren't getting vision rehab services. And it's uh, unbelievable. Because they don't get any of the services that they need, they're slipping and falling and they're breaking hips and there's all these other incredible costs and we can show you all that information. And they said, and by the way, that's why we need your help to have Medicare cover our professionals. And then you know that you know what they, the answer is? They, they, the, the, the folks on the Hill or wherever say, you sold me. Um, I get it. My mother, my grandmother is starting to go through those services, uh, going through those needs. What can we do? And then you say, uh, gee, we only have 4,000 certified people in this country to provide services to those gazillion people I was telling you about. And by the way, um, according to our numbers, uh, if you do it the right way, it's not going to cost you that much. Th there was actually a study that people were floating around uh, in that group of advocates pushing for Medicare reimbursement for services. It was called the Lewin VI study. And, and, the rea and the bottom line of that study was essentially to try to say, you know what, if you provide these vision rehab services up front right now, you'll be able to save so much money because you're going to prevent all of these other terrible things from happening. And so therefore, to get our professionals reimbursed and named in the Medicare program, it's only going to cost a couple million dollars. Right? So now, if you go to Congress and you say, I'm here to talk to you about the largest public health challenge that America's facing today in our opinion, namely older people beginning to lose their vision and we don't have the infrastructure and the professionals to serve them. And they say, that's terrible. What's your solution? And we say, we want you to add our professionals, these, these, these specific professional groups into Medicare. And by the way, it's only going to cost you a couple of million dollars. You know what their reaction is? Their reaction is, you don't have any credibility whatsoever. Because if you go in to an office and you say, I've got the problem of the century, and your reaction is to say, yes, and by the way, it hardly costs a thing, you look like a used car salesman, okay? I'm not saying that Lighthouse are used car salesmen. I'm saying that they were trying to make the most persuasive case they can. What I'm trying to get to, and my bottom line for all of us is this, we have got to be profoundly honest with each other about how bad the problem is, how wide the issues are in terms of what blind vision, what older folks need who are beginning to experience vision loss. We've got to be prepared to make that case in the strongest possible terms, even if the reaction on the part of policymakers is to say, my God, if it's that big, where in the world do we begin? And that's when we come in and we say, you know what? Um, 
Glad you asked that question. For generations, we've been struggling with this same issue too. And you know something? With precious few examples, like the older blind program advocacy that AFB did, or that some other groups have done over the course of time, my former colleague at AFB, Chris Rogers, and Nancy, you were probably involved in it too at the time, uh, folks like um, oh, oh, heck, what's his name? Chuck Young, uh, former head of Hadley School and was also a, uh, a head of a voc state voc rehab agency were involved in this too. Trying to find ways to say, you know what? Uh, we need to make some critical changes. Yes, there have been some things that have happened along the way. The reality of it is there are precious few of those examples Congress. There are precious few of those examples state legislature. And by the way, let me just take a little footnote here and say, you know, as someone who spent 25 years working at the national level, I got to tell you, it's time that we spent a lot more time working on state level issues and focusing, I don't want to say less on Congress, but looking at specific states for how we can essentially use them as laboratories of democracy, as someone has called them, and say, look, this is a way that we can model an approach to funding services that we need. And you know something? Uh, you want to find a way, in my maybe not so humble opinion, you want to find a way to strengthen your state chapter and you say, well, gee, what's going to motivate people to show up to meetings? You start getting yourself known at the state chapter level as being the organization, sure, that is the American Council of the Blind with a capital B. And we believe in blindness and we're not ashamed of being blind. But you know what? There are a lot of folks who are in this whole world that need services who are never going to think of themselves the way that we think of ourselves. And uh, I don't care if this loses me votes on Thursday. The reality of it is we need to be thinking of a way to make sure that this organization is reaching out to and communicating effectively to those people and not, unlike maybe perhaps one of our other colleagues in the blindness wor consumer world, trying to pigeonhole everybody into some preconceived notion of what someone who's blind should be. All right? That's what we've got to do. And when you do that at the state chapter, I'm not telling you you shouldn't be proud of being an ACB member. I would be a fool to die, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying mobilizing at the state level to bring people in and say, you know what? These are the challenges that older folks experiencing vision loss need. How about you and I come together here at the state and even local level and talk about what we can do with our state legislature? Those kinds of efforts are going to be critical. In any case, I know I need to wrap up. I would just say to you that some of the most recent activity that's happened um, as AFB has sort of transitioned into a new direction and now our friends in the private agency world uh, uh, under the umbrella of something called Vision Serve Alliance have pulled together a coalition of organizations and people. Um, they, they're, they, they're very kind, uh, even though I'm not in blindness per se, at least at that level professionally anymore, to let me be a part of it. Um, but I, I, th that umbrella uh, structure is an interesting one. It's one that I think we're starting to mobilize now. Yours truly is going to be part of the whole question of funding uh, and how we can try to address funding uh, for these services. The Older Blind Program cannot be ignored. It's frankly the one foothold that is blindness, and, you know, vision loss specific that we absolutely must be thinking about. But if we're not thinking about ways in which to fundamentally either restructure that program, reconfigure the way that funding is delivered, or otherwise think of you know, other approaches well beyond the traditional ones that we've always done for years, we're going to be sunk. And I, for one, I, I get all of the reasons. I went to Congress and argued all the points that were orthodoxy in our field about 
oh, don't, don't, whatever you do in the last reauthorization of the Voc Rehab Act, don't take these programs out of the U.S. Department of Education for heaven's sake because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen and they're going to get merged with the other independent living service. You know something? That kind of old, that's, that's backwards thinking. That's decades old thinking. And that decades old thinking has gotten us to the point where we haven't been prepared to entertain new ideas and different ideas and ways in which we can maybe turn to other funding sources. Will there be risks in it? You bet. Uh, I love the FDR quote, which I can never get right, but I love the sentiment. And, the, you know, he gets elected, and, of course, it's the most amazing presidency in history. We're in the first hundred days because the times were so desperate at the, uh, for the Great Depression where he was able to say, you know what, we're going to do it. That's, by the way, the, where the origin of the first hundred days of a presidency came from because his whole concept was things are so bad that we have got to be headstrong and hell-bent on doing something about this and because of just sheer force of will to say nothing about the desperation of the country, they said, we're going to devote ourselves to these issues. His whole point was, you know what? Yeah, we're going to try a lot of bold things. And a lot of bold things did get accomplished. And his other point was, some things are going to work, other things are going to fail. And I will say that the most fundamental thing that used to drive me, I'm sorry if you don't like vulgarity, batshit crazy, about, about the blindness and vision impairment world is that we are far too risk-averse for our own good. Far too risk-averse. We are not prepared to say, you know what, just because we've got some buddies working at the Department of Education today, by the way, we're all mortal, and, no one, and, and nobody, nobody uh, lives forever, and nobody uh, is immune from being fired, and nobody is immune from having a presidential administration swoop in and change the, the whole dynamic. So the idea that no matter which one you support, I'm not talking about the current one, I'm just saying to you, all of those that our field is too profoundly risk averse, or at least it has been, and I can tell you that uh, if I have anything to offer, maybe it's nothing but the idea of raising questions and challenging us uh, to do some things different, but by golly, I'm going to continue to do it, and I hope that the American Council of the Blind is willing to do it. I'll shut up with this comment, and that is this. I, I said a little while ago about branding. I'm proud of being someone who's blind. I've been born. I was born blind. I'm an LCA kid, and uh, and and all of that sort of thing. Um, I I did have a little bit of, of, of usable vision back in the day. So I mean, I I don't. I'm not going to tell you. I know what it's like to be a person of low vision. But but you know, I had a little taste of it. But I know for a fact that I don't know exactly how to relate to especially older people who have never their whole lives identified as having a disability. Um, and we've talked about this, frankly, in some of the caucuses. I'm not here to run for anything right now, but I want to just tell you, as it's come up in conversation, people, we, we've talked about this. People say, how are we going to reach out to those people? If I told you I had the magic formula for how to reach out to people, let's say, of my mother's generation who's 80 years old, living in a wonderful little retirement community. Um, if I told you I had the magic formula for how to reach out to them and make them ACB members and get them on board with some of our advocacy, that'd be a liar. I don't have the magic. I think coming together and hopefully our new board and with our great dynamic staff, we can make some things happen there. But I can tell you this much, it isn't going to be because we try to pigeonhole those people. 
into being in something that we think they ought to be. We need to meet them on their terms. The thing that always strikes me when I go home to visit my dear sweet mama is that uh, not only is she starting to lose a little bit of vision, but all of her sweet little old Liddy, little old Lutheran lady friends, they, they all think of me as, oh, that's Marion's blind son. He, isn't he sweet? Isn't he nice? And they think of me as someone, yeah, they're, they're nice about it, right? They're kind people. But they say, that's Marion's blind son. And then we start to talk, and you know what? It's funny how uh, Mildred Higginbotham, you know what she's most happy about? Having those crazy, funny little cuckoo cartridge thingies that come from the library because she likes to read the books, right? There are other people sitting around that table that say, you know what, um, that's Marion's blind son. But, you know, uh, there's this group, and they're, some, they're somewhere down in, uh, my mother lives in Orlando. There's this group in central Orlando, uh, and they, they have these cool gadgets, and they make everything bigger. Uh, and wow, is that amazing. And, and that's great. Mark, have you ever heard of those? Yes, yes. Back in the day, I used them. Yes, right? These are people who will never identify as being blind or visually impaired. And so from a policy point of view, what does that mean? We have right now our one little teeny tiny little foothold. It's called the Independent Living Services for Older Individuals Who Are Blind. Maybe what we need to be thinking, I don't want to rebrand that program, and I don't want to re, you know, reconfigure it completely, but I will tell you, if we don't find a way to reach out in a way that communicates, not just among us at the state and you know, local level at ACB, but from a policy point of view that reaches out to the communities where they are, all of the money in the world and all of the bureaucracies in the world aren't going to cut it. And it's going to take a lot of courage for an organization that is as proud of being blind as we are to help lead the way. And you know something? The private agency folks are great. Nancy's great. Sylvia's great. They're wonderful partners. But you know what? It's going to be American blind and visually impaired people who have the guts to make those changes and, and reach out to those people. And that's why I am so proud to be a part of the American Council of the Blind. Thank you so much. Uh, this is Kathy Gerhardt. While Jeff is coming up, if I didn't get your card or if you ate without paying, um, it's $30. Thank you very much. Just raise your hand if you have a card or money for me. And I'll give you to Jeff. Okay, thank you. Wasn't that a, an excellent uh, but controversial look at the, where we need to go? Yeah, got to do something. Jeff, do you want me to stay for this panel? Uh, if you like, you can. I know, you've got, I know you have other things to do, but yeah. Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> I know one thing, if Mark is elected as our first vice president, we will certainly have an advocate for the issues that we are here to discuss. Um, your ending code, should any of you so choose to apply for s continuing education credits, is C0D43. C0D43. And there's, a, there's 0.5 credits to be earned for the luncheon speech. 
We're really lucky, and I want to uh, thank Gene Mann for doing most of the legwork on this. Um, not only to have had a great luncheon speaker this year, but to have a panel coming up that really has a lot of experience and expertise and I think is going to um, be very enlightening for all of us. And so I'm really looking forward to it.